0: you're listening to a sermon preached at university presbyterian church in seattle washington for more information please visit our website upc.org last week i had the privilege of preaching on new year's day and we preached on four great words that describe our relationship with jesus christ faith love hope and joy today Two more words, and they come from our Lord Jesus Christ, and we have the chance today to hear two more great words that describe our relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray first, though. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In Matthew, the 11th chapter... Jesus gives an invitation to us, and uh, it's one of the very best from our Lord. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you... Now, the word here is pause. The, R- the RSV says rest. It's actually a stopping place. It's the word stop actually in Greek. And it's a stopping place. I'll give you a space. A pause. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. He invites us in this pause. To join with him. And to walk with him. To take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle. This word is the word calm. I am calm. I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. And then in the last line, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you. You know, our Lord, until he was 30 years old, was a carpenter. And I've often wondered, what sort of carpentry did he do? I mean, I've seen, uh, I've seen religious art that has Jesus making cabinets like the Amish, or uh, something like that. And even in the, in the original movie of Ben-Hur, when they had a scene of Jesus technically a carpenter in Sepharo where he lived near Capernaum and they had the hammering and sawing and he was making a carpet He was making cabinets uh, But the most important thing a carpenter would do especially in Sepharo where he lived which was animal country It's agricultural area is he would make yokes a carpenter would make yokes yokes for animals and That is a tremendously yeah, impressive skill to make a yoke that fits well and especially if they're making two yokes for two animals that are going to pull a load together they have to be perfectly balanced it's it's almost like my, uh, having, buying a ski boot uh, it has to be perfectly fit to your foot perfectly same thing in mountaineering perfectly fit so you're not even aware that you're wearing it and the, the yoke has got to be that way it's got to fit perfectly. I think Jesus, as a carpenter, made yokes. And now we get his, our Lord actually bragging about it. He says, take my yoke upon you. In other words, join with me with my yoke. And then at the very end, he puts in a PS. And by the way, my yoke is smooth. The word is smooth there. It's, it fits well. My yoke fits well. And it's light. You won't even be aware you have it on. It's light. It's well-made. And so our Lord uh, makes this amazing promise to come unto me, all you who labor. Last week, we looked at the labor of love, the hard work of love. Are you worn out? Come to me, all you who labor with heavy burdens and are worn out, and I will give you pause. I'll give you space. I like that. It's not so much an evangelistic sentence As it is a sentence before The evangelistic sentence I'll give you space Pause Take my yoke upon you Learn from me And then two words I am calm And I am humble There are the two words Two more words And he gives them They mean a great deal to our Lord And he advocates them for us First, the word calm. This interesting word, prowess, is used in classical Greek almost exclusively with regard to animals. It's a word used for a wild animal that is strong, maybe even fierce, that can be calmed so that it can be trained. As you know, a horse is is a fierce and wild animal, and it can be calmed. It can be calm to the point where it becomes teachable, where it becomes trainable. And that is the word that's also translated in the New Testament, meek. Here it's translated gentle in the RSV, means calm. Meek is the word that's used mostly in the New Testament. And as a matter of fact, our Lord loved this word, meek. He loved it, it doesn't mean weak. It means trainable. It means teachable. That's not weak. A horse, a very powerful, wild, or fierce horse, when it's calmed to where it can be trained, it becomes a stronger horse than it was before. It becomes a greater horse because it's under training. It knows how to handle various obstacles, and that's how they're trained, especially in the time of the New Testament time before when Alexander the Great, where they would have horses, they would be trained for battle and trained for running across bridges or tr- running over various uh, barriers and not panicking. So that they are a trained horse. Teachable is the word. Did you know that the third beatitude, Jesus has these amazing beatitudes and the blessings and they each have a reward. Blessed are the poor in spirit And blessed are the peacemakers They shall be called the children of God The third beatitude Blessed are the meek It's this word Blessed are the teachable ones And you know what the reward is For the teachable ones The third beatitude Blessed are the meek Hold your breath now folks They shall inherit the earth You want to know about global warming? It's the people who study about global warming, who study about things and know they will conquer, we will be able to conquer uh, by knowing and growing and learning. When I first came to Seattle in 1956, Lake Washington, they called it a doomed lake because cities around Lake Washington were putting in treated sewage into this lake and creating its its algae level. Students at the University of Washington, the School of Public Health at the University of Washington, all kinds of environmental groups worked at Lake Washington and by the time I left in 1964, when I came back as senior pastor here in 1991, Lake Washington, the water was pure. You can take it with your hand and drink out of Lake Washington. You couldn't in 1956. You could see the algae in the lake. They were they were comparing it to Lake Erie. And they said it would be a a condemned lake. But it wasn't because we learned how we became teachable on how to clean up the lake. Wow. And that is the word that our Lord puts into the third beatitude. And he gives it down when he says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, your heavy burden. I'll give you pause. Yoke with me. Learn from me. I am first teachable. I am able to listen to you. I'm able to, uh, I'm calm. And I am humble. Humble is, is the same word as lowly. I'm humble. And Jesus uses that word and uses it decisively, not only here but in other parts of the New Testament as well. In, in Matthew twenty. Matthew 23, as a matter of fact, he says it in a a very amazing passage. The greatest among you will be your servant, and all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. He honors humility. He practices it himself. So these two great virtues are given to us by our Lord, humility and meekness. So never say meek and mild. Say meek and strong and meek and humble. Meek and lowly, lowly and meek. But you have to be lowly, you have to be uh you have to be humble uh, along with teachable. And those two great virtues are given by Christ to us. But you know, like all virtues, we tend to get restless and sometimes we tend to resist These very virtues that our Lord here himself is advocating to us. And we resist them. And it's interesting, just a few chapters later in Matthew, now move to Matthew 20, There is that is the eve of Palm Sunday. That is just before the entry into the city. And there's already a stirring among the people. The popularity of Jesus is at a peak. It will, it will be demonstrated on Palm Sunday when people will cry out the, uh, the halal and will, and will praise Christ as he enters the city. But a very odd and awkward event happens on the eve of Palm Sunday, and it's in Matthew 20. It says, listen to it, The mother of the sons of Zebedee, that would be Salome, who is... The sister of Mary, the mother of our Lord. Which means this woman, Salome, is the mother of James and John, the youngest of the disciples. She is also the aunt of Jesus. So she is Jesus' aunt. She's also a very ambitious mother for her two boys. So every ambitious parent should listen to this text. So the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons. And kneeling before Jesus, she asked a favor of him. And he said to her, what do you want? She said, declare. Now, it's interesting. She, she doesn't say, I would like you to consider my two sons. They're so marvelous. Instead, appoint. She uses a strong word. Declare that these two sons of mine will sit one at your right hand and the other at your left. In other words, they will reign. Of course, this is a little bit... Uh, awkward because Peter is the one that has been sort of at the right hand of Jesus as his number one disciple, but the mother is ambitious. So she says, I want you to declare that these two sons of mine will sit one at your right hand, the other at your left in your kingdom. Now, it's interesting how our Lord handles it. Jesus answers, do you not, do you not, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they said to him, we are able They're very brave young men, maybe impetuous, but brave. And he's, or they think they are at that point. And he said to them, and it's interesting, he doesn't rebuke them like he did with Peter, says before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. He doesn't say that. When Peter was so proud of the fact that he would never fail Jesus. But instead, Jesus is very tender here. He says, you will indeed drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And after this, you might expect the rest of the disciples were not happy. Here, listen to this. When the ten heard it, they were angry with the two brothers. Actually, a stronger word is used. They were outraged at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him. Now he's calling all of them to him. And now listen to his teaching. It's almost like the text in Matthew 11. Are you weary, heavy laden? Come to me. I'll give you pause. Learn from me. I am calm. I am teachable. I am meek and I am lowly. And so he says to him, you know how the rulers, the Gentiles, lorded over them. And their great ones are tyrants You know, that is an interesting word That's the word kata, down With the word kuria Kuria means lord To lord down And then he uses another one Exusia, which is the word for executive Kata, exusia, down It's the word for ty- tyranny And he says, you know that they love To play the role of the tyrants Power downward So he says, you know that And that's the way it is in the Roman world and they, they're not surprised. They, they've they seen the Roman governor. They've seen Herod, who's the king put in place by the, by Julius Caesar. Actually, the Romans put Herod in place. So you know that they love to lord it over you. Their great ones are tyrants over you. But it shall not be that way among you. And now we get, again, teaching only, now it's very strong from our Lord. It shall not be that way among you. Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your servant. And now he uses even the strongest word for servant, uh, slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to serve, to be served, but to serve. And to give his life, now we get servanthood at its most extreme level, and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus then realizes that uh, there is, he's given this good word about humility, and he's given the good word about uh, teachableness, but uh, we don't always hear it. We don't always want it. and so uh, the mother of James and John a wonderful lady Salome she was there at the cross when our lord died at the cross so she's a brave woman but she had she was ambitious and she wanted power for her sons and that's the occasion of this text and that wonderful teaching of our lord comes out of that occasion it won't be this way among you we're going to be a servant people you're going to be a servant people and Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to lay his life down a ransom for many. In the book of James, James loves to repeat Jesus' teachings, especially teachings. By the way, that is not James the disciple. It's James the brother of Jesus, is the writer of the book of James. He was the bishop of Jerusalem. He's the brother of Jesus, and he writes the book of James. And he repeats a great many of things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount and this kinds of teaching. And it, once again, he picks up the same theme that Jesus gave about, about lowliness and meekness. He uses both words in the first chapter. But he also recognizes the same thing that happened when Salome came to our Lord and wanted her sons to be powerful and wanted power. And James recognizes that. And in the first chapter of James, he says, I know about that. And I know that you're tempted to want to be powerful. And so listen to what James says. He says, "Uh, uh, "When no one when tempted like this. Don't ever say you're being tempted by God. God cannot be tempted, and God tempts no one. Uh, But one is tempted. Now listen to this analysis. We are tempted by our own desires. You know, what's interesting. He doesn't say the devil tempts you here. Later in James, he'll tell about the devil's temptation and says, just flee from it. But here he's not talking about the devil's temptation. He's talking about your temptation, my temptation, Salome's temptation. She wasn't the devil when she came to Jesus. She was just an ambitious mother. But what she said was wrong. She wanted her sons to be powerful. She didn't want her sons to be servants. She wanted them to be powerful, to sit at the right and the left side. And so now now James picks this up, and he says, when you're tempted, you're tempted by your own, and he uses the word for desire, but he uses a strong form, epithumo. Thumo is the word for desire. Epi means runaway desire, excessive desire. Uh, When it's used in a sexual context, it's called lust. But when it's used in just an ordinary context, it means runaway, excessive desire. You're tempted by your own excessive desire, being lured and enticed by it. Uh, and he says, and when it's conceived, it has a bad result. In fact, he even says it brings forth death. It brings forth, a little later, he'll say it brings forth wars. It causes wars. But it has a bad result. And then he says this, do not be deceived, my beloved, by that desire for power. Don't be deceived by it. You know, the word deceived really fascinates me. And uh, that James would use that word right here. Uh, it's really what's happening with Salome. There's a deception going on when she thinks that, that uh, there's a kingdom here that... Uh, It is ripe for the plucking and because of her special relationship as an aunt, she can have a special place for her sons. That's that's a deception. It's not going to be the way it is. The father is the one who's going to decide and Jesus has to correct her. But he does it very tenderly and then uses that as a teaching time to teach about the fact we're not going to be the people who are tyrants over. We're going to be servants from underneath. You know, uh, people are fascinated with greatness And so sometimes you'll hear someone say about a great person, ah, that person, how he fills the room when he's in the room. You can't get your eyes off of him. But what about a greatness that Jesus is describing now that would be described this way, not how this man, how our Lord fills the room, but how Jesus enlarges the room. He enlarges the room. He draws the people into him. He draws all you who are and heavy laden, come to me. He doesn't fill the room with himself. He enlarges the room and draws us in. So it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, James says there's a deception going on. I have to do one, I promise, the last word study. I have to do one more word study for you uh, from, the, from the ancient Greek. Uh, the word for deceive is used several times in the New Testament. It's... The word plano is the word for deceive, And I have to give you a lesson in first century astronomy in order to explain that word. The first century astronomers had it wrong until they got it corrected when it was later realized that the sun did not go around. uh, uh, It looks like it goes around the, the earth because it comes up in the morning and it goes down in the evening. And so we had it wrong. And we had it wrong all the way up until Copernicus uh, corrected that. That the sun is not going around the earth, we're going around the sun. So that, that's a minor difficulty. But uh, you have to, and so we tend to mock the early astronomers because they had that bad information. But they got some things right. And that is when they looked into the sky, they saw there were two kinds of celestial bodies. There were the bodies up there that twinkled. They called us a star, and the word star comes from that. Twinklers. They twinkled. They stayed put. They never moved around. Like the Big Dipper. If you look at the end of the Big Dipper, you can find the North Star. And if you're above the equator, wherever you are above the equator, you can find the North Star with a sexton. And it'll, believe me, it'll keep you on the right path if you're at sea or if you're in a desert trying to find your way between north, south, west, and east. Uh, that's, the, they called those the stars, the, the twinkling ones. But they saw there were other stars that didn't twinkle. And they moved all the time. And they named those Venus, Mars, Jupiter. They gave them wonderful names, names of Greek gods. But they always moved And therefore they came up with another word for them Planet Planet Plano They are the deceivers They're deceiving stars They make you you think they're stars But they don't twinkle Because they're reflecting light from the sun So they don't twinkle They are planet. They're wonderful. They're marvelous. And you they write songs about them, and you have a lot of fun with Venus and Mars and the way they move all over the place. But don't set your sexton to Venus if you're at sea. Don't set your sexton to Mars, the the god of war. (laughs) Venus, the god of love. Don't set your sexton to that. It will lead you astray. You know the word plano means literally wanderers. They are wanderers and, therefore, deceivers. They're deceiving you. They look like stars, but they're not stars. And it's interesting that that's the word James uses here. And it's interesting, isn't it, that when we uh, when we choose a planet to live by, this moving planet, Jupiter, you name it, it moves around. It, it's very powerful. It's very... Uh, contagious, it's very exciting, but it's not a star. And listen to what James goes on to say after he says, Don't be deceived. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light. Not, in other words, twinkling light, not reflected light. And with him, there is no variation, see, he knows. Plano means there are things that are moving around all the time, so don't plant, don't, when the... When the uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson said in a commencement address at Harvard, hitch your wagon to a star, he said it to the graduates of Harvard, and people have had a lot of fun with that ever since. Well, be careful you don't hitch your wagon to Venus. Don't hitch your wagon to Mars. Hitch your wagon, if you're going to hitch it to the North Star. It will stay put. It is truth. The others are deceivers. So he says, the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change in fulfillment of his own purpose that he gave us the birth, uh, gave us birth by the word of truth so that we should become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wonderful. That's from James. And then he even goes on and gives an ethical implication of this. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourself of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness and welcome with... Now, here's the big word meekness, with teachableness, the implanted word that has a power to save our souls. Hey, by the way, I love the King James Bible, don't you? And every now and then, the King James Bible has the best translation of a text. I just read this rather grim translation of the text, verse 21, from the new RSV, this is your pew Bible. It's not wrong. Believe me, it's not wrong, but it's very grim. Listen to it. Therefore, rid yourself of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness. Wow, I'm scared now to death. And welcome with meekness, I love that, the implanted word that has the power to save our souls, your souls. You know how the King James puts it? Okay, get ready. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. (laughs) I like that better. I think kids like that better, too. It's better to cope with naughtiness than with sordidness. Okay, I'll read it again. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness, there's the great word, the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Jesus has two great virtues for us, folks. And for our lives in 2017, I think they're good words. Add them to the list from last week. The work of faith, the labor of love, the upomeno, the hanging in there of hope, and the surprising joy that turns up, often when you least expect it, and humility, and meekness. Those are six words for us today. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for a humility, uh, how we respect it in others, but how we resist it for ourselves. So, Lord, help us not to resist it, but to welcome it. And to welcome teachableness. Lord, we thank you for that, those words that Jesus gives us. And faith, hope, love, and best of all, joy. In his name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.